I got up there and just kind of told the story of my dad and our relationship, but also I kind of spoke to the guy who shot my dad. I knew that he wasn't in the room, knew that he might not even see it, but it was almost like I was setting myself up to, this is the life that you're gonna live, and it might not be true forever, but it's gonna be true today, and we're gonna keep taking steps to make that true in the days to come. And now getting to work there like my dad did, it's just so special to me to know the life that he lived. I, I knew him as a dad. It's just been cool to um, be a part of other officers' lives now and, and get the behind the scenes. And I know it's just so hard to be in that field anyways. And so to introduce this topic of how do you even forgive how do you even move forward with something like this? Like, you have permission to do that. I was just spending some time praying, talking talking to God, and I just remember him bringing just this image to my mind of looking him in the eyes and just seeing his suffering eyes as he hung on the cross for us. I don't deserve that. And so, Jaime doesn't deserve that, but because of God and His graciousness, we get that. And so, it would not be fair of me to accept that for my own being, but not understand that for Jaime's. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assisi Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree, and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow. We can heal and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back ATL supporters. I'm Joe King with Kent Wolverton and we are honored to welcome back on the great Chris Webb to tell today's story of true inspiration. On December 3rd, 2021, Richard Houston went to work that day in Mesquite, Texas to serve that community. He put that uniform on for over two decades in Mesquite. Houston received nearly 50 commendations, two life-saving bars and a commendation bar. However, Richard did not return home that day to his wife and kids. He gave the ultimate sacrifice as he was gunned down on a domestic call. This podcast believes that their legacies should be kept alive by their stories. Today we are sitting with one of Richard's legacies. The country watched his oldest daughter boldly give his eulogy, and we were in awe. I watched it myself and could not begin to understand this young adult strength and resolve that she was able to speak and say farewell to her superhero. What is the true definition of strength? The quality or state of being strong, capacity for exertion or endurance, the power to resist force, toughness, power of resisting attack. Today's guest embodies this definition and is truly an example of the beautiful side of the human race. Beautiful in her deliberate approach to exhibit such incredible grace and Christ-like love towards her father's killer. From standing and speaking to a packed church saying farewell to her father to giving the impact statement at his murderer's trial. This young woman is a role model for all ages. She now dedicates her life to spreading the message of love and forgiveness. Today, the ATO stage is giving to the very inspiring Shelby Houston.
to stand with Shelby today, we have a very special guest co-host. This woman is also an inspiration to all. She has truly dedicated her life to service. She helped develop domestic violence diversion program for Tarrant County. She spent 13 years as an ADA in Grayson and Tarrant County. In 2013, she was appointed as criminal magistrate judge to preside over the 10 misdemeanor and 11 felony courts. In 2015, in collaboration with MHMR of Tarrant County, she created the Enhanced Mental Health Program. She currently presides over this weekly docket, supervising over 100 defendants with chronic mental health issues. The Honorable Judge Rainey Webb. Shelby, Rainey, Chris, thank y'all so much for joining us here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I want to get into, uh, we're, we got a lot to unpack here, but Shelby, I want you to tell the listener a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a college student at Dallas Baptist University, studying psychology and working uh, part-time at the Mesquite Police Department uh, as a records clerk. I serve at my church and women's ministry, uh, so I'm just kind of all over the place at this time of my life. So, Okay, uh, when did you start working at Mesquite PD? So I started working at Mesquite, uh, I would say, this past summer, so... Around June, I've been there for almost six months now. Oh, well. Um, Rainey, uh, your husband, I'm, I'm not sure if you, did you listen to his episode? It's, yes. a, it's an older one, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, it's one of our, I think it's our second most downloaded yeah. somehow. I made, I made her listen. He, I think he download, er, deletes it and downloads it over and over throughout the day. <laughs> Every day. Numbers yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. He's made himself viral. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I get a lot of. Me- I've gotten several messages about his his episode. Uh, and uh, can you also tell the listener a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Chris and I have been married for twenty one years. We have two seventeen year olds, twins, a boy and a girl. I am, am a magistrate judge in Tarrant County, so I work for the elected criminal judges in Tarrant County. And before that, I worked as an assistant district attorney in, in Tarrant County as well. Chris uh, reached out to me months ago about an idea for for this podcast, and anybody that listens listens knows that I cast a wide net with guests and topics, and I think that's important because I don't want to get locked into being a, a SWAT show or, or a, uh, a narcotic show or just a a war story, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. podcast because there's plenty of those out. We we've got them you know, in droves here uh, in Dallas PD. We've got several more we're going to tell. But also, this podcast is designed to inspire people in different ways. And I think the story that, you know, you and Chris had an idea for, um, I think that's going to, that's what we're going to hit on. We're going to, this is a different type of episode mm-hmm. for us, different type of guest. And uh, even you, this is, this is all kind of uncharted territory with us, but this is an important message, and I think the ATO listeners are going to really appreciate it and really be inspired. So that being said, I want to um, I want to talk about an incident with uh, with Shelby uh, from December last year. Could you uh, tell the listener a little bit about that? Yeah. So on December third, twenty twenty one, I was uh, Dallas Baptist University. I had some activities going on that day. I was doing some homework, running around, and I got this text from one of my pastors. He's like another dad to me. He just kind of texted me and was like, are you at home or are you at DBU? And he had just ignored all my texts before that, and so I was really confused. I told him I was at DBU, and he didn't answer me, so I kind of continued on with my day. Uh, And I had gone to do some shopping and my mom ended up texting me the same question about two three hours later so I knew something was up just because like you don't have two people that you're really close to text the same thing and so I she asked me when I was coming home I had planned to come home uh, that weekend it was on a Friday and um, so I told her I was like you know I'm not planning on coming home until tomorrow I was like what's going on and she was like well, your grandparents are coming home, and um, we we really would like to see you. And so it was just a kind of odd, like, 
positive tone in her voice. You could tell she was trying to hide something. And so I, she said, I, I, I didn't believe her. And so I got to my car and um, I called her and I said, you know, what's going on? I need you to tell me. And she still tried to fight it. But at the end of it, she was like, I just have a priority and I need you to get back to campus. And so this was right around rush hour. And so I'm trying to get home as fast as I can. I'm already like 45 minutes away from campus. And so I start driving home and I'm sitting in all kinds of traffic and the weather was getting bad. And so uh, I just remember like everyone, I felt like everyone was tapping on their brakes. Like it's like everyone knew but me. And I remember checking her location and I saw that she had gone to the hospital uh, earlier, but it showed my dad wasn't there. And so I kind of ruled that out, that anything was going on with our family at least. And so um, I just remember crying the whole way home though, because I was just so confused. I had no idea what was going on. And so uh, finally I pulled up to campus and um, I called her and called her and called her and I had no idea, but she wasn't picking up. And I was like, what in the world? (laughs) You're going to make me drive all this way. And then you're not going to answer the phone. Well, Meanwhile, she was telling um, my brother and my sister uh, the news, and so finally she called me, and she said, your dad's been in an accident today, and unfortunately, I've heard that before with him being in the law enforcement, and so I just figured, you know, maybe a car accident. I was like, okay, well, where is he? And that's whenever she said, you know, he's not he's not here anymore, um, and I remember the exact parking spot I was sitting in. I remember um, what time of day it was, the weather outside, what I was wearing. I just lost it in the car. Um, but it it wasn't like um, a cry. It was like screaming just at the top of my lungs. And um, I hung up the phone on her and she tried to call me back and had somehow gotten across to me that my pastor and his wife were on their way to get me. And so I got out of the car. I walked up the stairs in my apartment, threw some clothes into a bag, and then they they got me. And I remember it was so rainy that day. And um, it took me like an hour and a half to get home. And so uh, it it was hours since my dad had passed that I had even made it home. And so I remember they they pulled up to my house and before they even stopped the car, I just flung the door open and I started running out to meet my mom. She met me in the yard and I just I fell just because I I was so weak. And so she carried me inside and I just remember coming in the door, standing there and just asking, like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Um, And just I collapsed on the floor and um, our counselor thankfully had was there and then my pastor and his family stayed and so um, it was odd we we all found ourselves sitting on the front porch for most of the night just to get some air but we were laughing and and smiling and it was just an odd feeling you knew that's not how you really felt but it's like just just so so in shock like And um, the laughter covers the uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. And so, yeah, we just we stayed out there for most of the night. I didn't sleep that night or anything. And then a few days later, we started preparing for my dad's funeral. Um, That happened on December 9th. And I just kind of felt tug at my heart to speak at my dad's funeral. And um, so I did. I help my mom get all the things coordinated and then I sat down the night before and just wrote whatever I could it was I did not spend time on it um and so whenever I got up there a lot of people know me by that eulogy Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but it's so funny because it's not me up there it's totally Jesus Mm -hmm. and um no no words that were said were my own and so um yeah, and, and after that, it just kind of started becoming really public for us, um, which I know my dad's probably has the biggest head up there right now because of it, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's a shortened version of what happened. 
Um, so being the the daughter or um, you know a child or a spouse or sibling friend of a of a first responder, that call could always come in. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. And your your father he he had a twenty one years on yes. mesquite uh, yes. at that at that time. Um, what was your your father? Who's your superhero? Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. What did he mean to you? He was just my best friend. I I was a daddy's girl growing up, and we would go hunting and fishing, and I would usually come home to him watching some old western movie whenever we got home. It was never quiet in the house. He had just the worst dance moves <laughs> and never stopped. We can relate to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they all do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he was just my best friend. He was someone I could count on um, to just give such wisdom. And uh, he had gone through a lot, just not only being in the law enforcement, but he lost his dad whenever he was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so he was familiar with that feeling. Um and he was all in just about everything that he did. And so, you know, he, he always pushed me to be the best I could be. He was there at every volleyball game, every school event. There was nothing that he would miss. He would turn his schedule into deep nights so he could see us during mm-hmm. the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just did anything it took to be the best dad. Well, I said, I said in the intro, uh, which you haven't heard because I was sneaky and recorded before you walked in, <laughs> that um, I, I believe that telling uh, these people's stories and, and keeping their legacy alive, alive is through this message, right? This platform to keep these stories uh, of their legacies alive. And, and you're, you're, you're one of his legacies sitting Thank here, you. so we're actually sitting with. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, when, y'all, when y'all got the... You, you you mentioned sitting there on the porch and and masking the pain with uh, the laughter and smiles. Um, how how were your how was your uh, your siblings and your mother how how were they? Um, my mom was completely struck by shock. Probably I'd say for an entire week, um, she was completely normal. I remember it was odd just waking up and seeing her um, because it was almost like I. I was looking for her to cry. Like I was looking for her to feel it. Um, Not because I wanted her to be in pain, but of course I wanted her to feel like she had a safe space to do that. Mm -hmm. And so my brother and my sister, they were all very different in the way that we've processed all of this. My brother leans a lot towards anger. Uh, My sister, she kind of bottles it up. She's always been very private. Um, And so... There was probably a lot of tears shed that we just don't know about, Mm -hmm. but I think it's just been super important for us and really valuable for us to still do that together. So we talk about him all the time Mm -hmm. and we bring up funny stories and we laugh, not because we're faking it, but because it really not only helps us but we help each other when we do that so yeah it's talking about the positive the positive stories and in um the happy times yeah it, for sure. it helps you overcome um so the i watched the funeral service too mm-hmm. and uh i could not believe your strength you, mm-hmm. you're getting up there uh, was, i i couldn't i couldn't have done that <laughs> You you said that you loosely wrote, wrote out some words the night before and can you just describe the listener? You got up there. You said Jesus spoke through you. Yes. Can you describe that? And where where do those words come from? I mean, they're from through, from Jesus, but I I just can't see how you got through that. Where did you get the strength to get through that? So I have always been a very driven person. If I was going to do something, I was going to do it, and. It's funny because a lot of the officers had asked my mom that morning, like, do you think she's going to make it through? Do you (laughs) think she's going to get up there and actually do it? And we all just kind of knew. I was like, yeah, I'm going to like, I'm going to do it. And um, I kind of already had a passion for speaking and writing. And so 
that was not something that I was worried about. Um, I knew at the end of the day I was going to go up there and probably forget everything that I did <laughs> and said. Um, and so I got up there and just kind of told the story of my dad and our relationship, but also I kind of spoke to the guy who shot my dad. Um, I knew that he wasn't in the room, knew that he might not even see it, but it was almost like I was setting myself up to this is the life that you're going to live and it might not be true um, forever, but it's going to be true today and we're going to keep taking steps to make that true in the days to come. And so um, I knew right away I wanted to speak to this guy and so um, I just addressed him in my eulogy and just kind of told the gospel um, in a way that is very real it I think sometimes we think um, it's just this one-time thing you know about it but you don't really live by it but I knew that that's not what we were called to do I knew that we were supposed to make that a reality um, in our relationships with people and so I just knew really early on that I, I wanted to forgive this guy a lot of people probably didn't believe that I could forgive forgive him that soon on um I still you know have conversations with people they're like did you really mean that and I I completely meant it and I still do to this day and so yeah I just I went up there and there was no nerves um I was completely calm and I I know looking back that it was supernatural. Mm-hmm. It was it was not on my own doing. Mm-hmm. And just with the response afterwards, getting to have conversations with people and people going back to church or people coming to know Jesus just through the story of my dad and how we've used this. It's just been such a testament to the Lord's faithful faithfulness and nothing to do with us. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, the the word forgiveness. I mean, it's such a, it's, it's an easy word to throw around. And, and as believers, it, you think you, you, th- you think you can do something and you, and you think you would react a certain way. Um, you were put in a position to really truly be tested and you followed through mm-hmm. and you're still following through with right. that. And I think that that's, it's a, it's an amazing example of what, uh, uh, of living out what you truly believe. And, you know, I'm 50 years old and I don't know that I could, you know, I, I proclaim that I'm a believer and I'm a Christian, but if put in the same position, I don't know if I have this strength. Mm-hmm. I've, right. ne- I've not been put in the same situation that you were put in. So I don't know how I'd react. So the fact that you as a 18 year old, no, wait, how old were you last year? How old I you? was 18. At 18, yes. at 18, we're strong enough to stand there and, and, and not just there at there, but also when you did your victim impact statement, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and we talk about that too in the courtroom, actually facing him. Right. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's the maturity level. And, and I'm not just talking about age maturity. I'm talking about in your spiritual maturity that mm-hmm. you actually were able, you were challenged and you met that challenge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so very impressive mm-hmm. to me. Thank you. And Thank it's, you. it's what stood out. And mm-hmm. it's why I said, Joe, you've, you've mm-hmm. got to, you've got to meet this girl and <laughs> you've got to get her in here. Well, that was the, for me, and I don't know if I've even told you this story. Um, a friend of mine that works at the Dallas DA's office, did I, I think I might have told you, mm-hmm. but um, she was at the funeral. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, she called me from the parking lot, mm-hmm. and she said, you, are, you will never believe what I just witnessed. No. She said, there is this young, beautiful daughter of this officer who stood up, shared Jesus with the entire audience, and then forgave the person who shot him. And I immediately called Chris, um, and Chris found the video from Channel Five, mm-hmm. um, and and I think um, I think every family member of law enforcement officers, mm-hmm. you anticipate that call, right, right. And I don't know if y'all ever had that conversation in your family. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, multiple times. Because we have had it. I mean, I. When our children were younger and Chris was on the SWAT team, he'd get called out in the middle of the night, and they would always ask me, is Dad going to be okay? Mm -hmm. And because, you know, we are the ones who have shared our faith with them, and and they have come to faith in Jesus, Mm -hmm. 
I knew that I couldn't tell them yes. Right. Because right, yeah. I didn't know the answer. Right. And um, so they would say, is dad going to be okay? And my answer was always like, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I know that God will take care of us yes. because he yeah. always has and yeah. he's been faithful. And what I saw in you was what I had played in my head a million times yeah. is if we were ever in that position, would I have the strength mm-hmm. to use that opportunity to share Jesus with others? Right. And everything that you said and the way that you carried yourself was beyond what, you know, I could have imagined it was such an example to me of um, this is the truth. You know, Mm -hmm. this is, um, we have all considered, you know, what could happen and for you to live that out is phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, after the services, um, there's in, in, in the police world and any, in, and just life, whenever there's a traumatic incident, there's a critical incident or, or a death in the family, you're getting inundated with supporters oh, initially. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And at, then after a while, it dies down, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have to rebuild and and, and pick up. And then you, you start taking on, you have a lot more time to think on it and stew on it oh, and, yeah. and uh, start re- the rebuild process. Mm-hmm. Um, after the services, um you know the you the holidays are always tough when you have a loss oh, yeah. and sure. it's um then you have you know anniversaries come up and um they don't they don't get any better um how did that rebuild look for your family and and being the oldest mm-hmm. child did you feel did you feel that it was important for you to step up and yeah. help that help uh that your family grow and heal yeah yeah, I knew um, with my dad just being the leader of our house, he was a devoted Christ follower. And so I knew, um, you know, I have a responsibility now. And it's not one that was placed on me, and I wish it wasn't. I am happy to take on that role. And um, it's not necessarily like it's expected of me, but it's important, I think, uh, because there's been so many days that you know, one of us doesn't really feel like it's worth it, you know, and it's important for us to have people around us that encourage us to keep going. And honestly, after, after the services, I mean, there was just an immense amount of support and we had no idea that my dad even knew that many people touched, (laughs) touched as many lives as he did. And, um, Anyways, it was just so cool to see people really rally around us, like my church, Community Life Church, they, I mean, immediate needs, they just met them, and they showed up, they sat with us, they cried with us, and then just the police department in itself, we've grown so close with them, and now getting to work there like my dad did, it's just so special to me. Um, to know the life that he lived. I, I knew him as a dad. Um, and I, there were a few times that we would see him at work, but never like in action, you know? And so it's just been cool to, um, be a part of other officers' lives now and, and get the behind the scenes. Um, and I know it's just so hard to be in that field anyways. And so to introduce this topic of how do you even forgive? Um, how do you even move forward with something like this? Like you have permission to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that was super important for us, not only for them to encourage us, but for us to encourage them as well. Well, I think, I think we officers will generally try to once you've been in it for a while, you try to shield your your family from right. the reality of right, yeah. of what we do. So we don't want y'all to know what we see. Right? right, we don't want our kids or our families to actually see what actually happens. Right. So there's a lot of shielding, and so the bonds that you you make with your coworkers are the strongest, some of the strongest bonds you have. Yet you almost want to keep them at arm's length from the family right. because. I don't want y'all, we don't want y'all to see that. Yeah. Um, and I, and you said again about the forgiveness part, you just brought that up again. Um, for what we do as first responders, um, it's, it, it, because of the repetitiveness of seeing the evil things that happen in the world constantly over and over and we categorize good guy, bad guy. Um, 
it's it you you become very crusted and forgiveness is is very seems like a very distant idea right, right? because most of the time the evils you see aren't uh, aren't on us it's been done right. to somebody else right. um for the most part um but even then you know it's forgiveness is not the top of the priority it's like mm-hmm. why would you 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 it's so easy you're an evil person you did this thing you don't deserve right anything right um as 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 a police officer you get in that rut yeah. and so rehumanizing people by forgiveness right it's what you said earlier it's not about forgiving for me or for them mm-hmm. i'm not forgiving it's actually freeing as a person that forgives right right and, right and and how does that how did that feel what did that feel like to you when you actually said it and you heard it come out right how did that make you feel did, did was there a was there a release yeah i there was definitely just weight lifted off my shoulders mm-hmm. um I knew that Jaime was going to be a part of my life, whether I liked it or not. And it was up to me to either carry on this guilt or not this guilt, but like this um, unforgiveness, this bitterness Mm -hmm. that I could live with forever. And I think people would be like, yeah, totally get it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Almost expect you to. Right. Right. Yeah. But I knew that that was only going to leave me even more hurt, Mm -hmm. even more broken, even more confused. And at the end of the day, I just remember I, it was a few days before the funeral. I was sitting outside on the porch after I had, I just woke up and, um, I was just spending some time praying, talking, talking to God. And I just remember him bringing just this image to my mind of like, looking him in the eyes and just seeing his suffering eyes as he hung on the cross for us. Mm. And, you know, I don't deserve that. Mm. And so Jaime doesn't deserve that. But because of God and his graciousness, um, we get that. And so it would not be fair of me to accept that for my own being but not understand that for Jaime's. And so I knew really early on, like, I had to make that decision. And whether it felt good or not was not my priority, but I knew it was what Jesus was calling me to do. And sometimes we have to do hard things that we're uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with. um, But ultimately, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And so to bring honor and glory to him by forgiving Jaime, like, that was the plan from the very beginning. And, and it's take, take Jaime out of it. Take, take us out of December 3rd. Like that's how we should operate in our everyday relationships. And so it, I completely understand being in that field and having to rehumanize Mm -hmm. um, these people. However, I think, which I'm guilty of it too, just um, almost creating like this atmosphere of, you know, they don't deserve it. They did this wrong. They're evil. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, how much more do we deserve that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyways, I just knew um, God had been really kind to me. And so I needed to spur that on, mm-hmm. you know. I think there's a hard time for people to understand forgiveness too in the in the idea of also not having consequences. Right. And I remember, you know, I've I've struggled, you know, working in the DA's office and seeing really terrible things happen to people, especially kids. And I remember talking to a friend who's um from Rwanda and mm-hmm. his parents were murdered in a genocide in 1994 and he'd written this whole book about forgiveness and I said um I was like how do you forgive right. and he's like forgiveness is on our part it right. has nothing to do with that other person yeah. Yeah. and it doesn't mean there aren't consequences for that right. it means you let that go because that's what Christ did for right. us right. and even you know there's 
example after example where Jesus was interacting with people and he forgave them, Mm -hmm. but there was still a consequence, you know? And and so I think that that's, you know, that's hard for people to comprehend too, is that when you say you forgive, that's just the act that you do. There may be other things that happen that you have no control over, but this was what you had control over and that was the decision you made. And then consequently, when you look at Jaime's kids, Mm -hmm. you know, just thinking about what their path could have been like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you will have a relationship with them, right, yeah. you know, and you've, you've met them already. Yes, and what was that yeah. interaction like? It was awesome. Um, it went so well. I got to sit down with them and just take December 3rd off the table. I just kind of told them, you know, I'm here to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, but I, I want to get to know you guys and I, and I don't define you by what, by what your dad did. Um, but you know, you have a life, you have a purpose and it's not tied to anything that happened on this day. Um, and so I, I just kind of brought up just some basic questions like, where do you go to school? What do you want to do? Um, do you have, you know, how's your siblings? What do you like to spend time doing and but also I I kind of had an idea that they hadn't talked about anything that happened on December 3rd and so um I made it very clear at the beginning I was like we don't have to talk about any of that if y'all don't want to and they just kind of said you know no Shelby we'll talk about whatever you want and so I just kind of opened the door um to allow them to say whatever they wanted and it it was interesting to see like them start talking about it and then look at each other and be like oh I didn't even know you were there like I didn't even know that happened and it's like so obvious they have never talked about this and which I think just comes back around to the whole point of like it is so important to talk about the hard things and um to take care of yourself. I know like in law enforcement, um, it's your job. And so you don't feel like, um, it has any relation to like you going home and interacting with your kids or with your wife or your husband or your family. But the things that law enforcement sees is the worst of the worst. And so even with our department in Mesquite, I, we have just made it so clear to these guys, like you have, you have to talk about it. You have to get in counseling, you have to get help. And I think we're starting to move away from this, um, this idea of like, oh, we don't talk about counseling. Like we don't tell people that we're getting help. Um, but like there is so much freedom in, sitting down with someone and just having someone to listen. And so I told them, I said, you have to get in counseling. You have to take care of yourself. If it's not for you, then do it for your kids and for your wife, for your husband. And so even my dad, he did counseling um, while he was on the job and it, it changed everything. And so I was just getting to see that with these kids, what it looks like to be open and honest about where you're at if you really want to affect grown men talk about their kids yeah and, yeah, no, yeah like that's that's powerful yeah um and I, I wanted to ask but you pretty much already covered it um you handled everything remarkably like mm-hmm. beyond remarkable in the first week right I yeah and you became a, a a staple of what we want right. people to do yeah what did you do afterwards what what was your process as far as getting help and, and I mean, it seems like it was very therapeutic for mm-hmm. you to speak to everybody else and to tell right. them, Hey, this is what you can do. And these are the things. And that's part of what we're all doing here is, is trying to heal ourselves right. by talking with other people and sharing our experiences. But what did you do to, to cope with everything for the almost year now? Yeah. So, um, we were really thankful to already have, um, a counseling service that we were familiar with in the area. And so, um, my mom had already been seeing, um, this counselor that we ended up just getting plugged in with. And so all of us go to counseling every week. Um, 
we go once a week. My mom goes twice a week. And not only that, but we have just the best friend groups, small groups, church groups that we are super plugged in with. Um, for a long time, I kept myself very busy. Um, I worked at my church and so we had started a church, a new church. We were church planning. And so I got really involved with that. I was, um, a youth intern. And so I was serving with, um, students every week. And then, um, it, it, it got to a point where it was like, okay, are we running from this or are we being, um, are, are we stewarding our time well? And so it got to a point where I knew it was becoming more of a distraction thing. And so um, I was just very self-aware of that. And so I decided to, to take a step back. But ultimately, it all comes down to like, there's no agenda to this. And that freed us up a lot to know like, you don't have to be on stage three of grief in November. You don't have to be um, two steps forward or one step behind. Like, it, it ultimately came down to people knowing us, loving us, and hearing us at the end of the day in all aspects of our lives, wherever we went. And, um, but also just getting to live out this stuff in real life. Um, I went to San Quentin and visited inmates there. I, um, I've gotten to be a part of different events um, just sharing my story. I've had one-on-one conversations. And so along the way, people don't realize, but that's actually really healing for us too. She's a, she's a pro. She, she oh. segues to everything. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Literally about to segue to that. And you took yeah. us right to yeah. it. That be, talking about saying Quentin and uh, Rainy, would you kind of describe how y'all met and how y'all got involved with, uh, with this program? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my best friends started a conference for teen girls and it's called therefore teen gathering and it's once a year in Fort Worth and um, part of the conference is having speakers come in and prior to that Chris had attended a um, a weekend retreat uh, called dream big and it's it is conducted by a man named Bob Goff and Bob Goff is a he actually was as an attorney and started out as an attorney and then started doing work in um, conflict war countries um, like Somalia and Uganda and um, started a nonprofit. And so um, in the nonprofit and in his work, he stepped away from practicing law and now he is a speaker and writes and speaks. And so um, Chris went to one of his retreats because we really felt like, you know, the Lord was calling us to help out officers as they were coming out and so Chris was exploring that idea of how he could help out officers and and so it was just such a great um Bob is just such a motivational like idea big brain person that encourages people and so my friend Tiffany I I applied for her she didn't know for her to start coaching with Bob and um and so all of that led to um, Bob does a class at San Quentin based on the Dream Big. He's created this. He calls it the Dream Big Framework, and it's a curriculum. And he started going in through his nonprofit, Love Does, and he actually teaches the inmates at San Quentin the um, this the same framework that he teaches civilians on the outside. And so um, he invited us to come with him Um and by invited, I think we like begged him if we could go with him and we manipulated our way into because we knew he was going and it happened to be the same time that uh, that Shelby had also been invited to go. Yeah, yeah I want to give you a special thank you for bringing one of uh, Bob's books in. It's a dream big. I'm going to uh, probably start that this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so Chris told me the story of uh, the San Quentin visit and I want to give like a little bit of history lesson. There's I mean. I looked it up. Uh, it opened in 1852. It was called the Arena by the inmates. It's the oldest prison in California. And some of the historically toughest, most violent people have uh, have gone through that prison uh, in its, in its, uh, since, in, in since inception. Um, can you all talk about that experience there when you got up and spoke and how that, uh, how that went for you personally? Yeah, so I was so excited to 
find my way at San Quentin with Bob. Um, and I had no idea what that day was going to really look like. One, because I was going to be inside a prison with all of these violent, very crude men is what I thought. Um, and I, I walked in and they're just walking around and we start having conversations with them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is nothing like what they show on the news, on TV, on movies. It's nothing like that. And so I started forming some relationships with some of the guys there. They shared their story. And so finally, whenever we started this Dream Big uh, class with them, we all sat down and here's a group of, I don't know, 30, 40 of them. At least, yeah. And, um... So Bob invited me up to share my story, and Bob did not tell me I was doing this, by the way. (laughs) He didn't tell any of us. Yeah, he told none of us. And so, anyway. He didn't want people to not show up. Right, 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 yeah. And so, anyways, I got up there, and I told them what happened on December 3rd, and I kind of just told them um, in in the same words that I said to Jaime, but told them personally um, that, you know, I call you by your name because it's what God calls you by. It's not a, it's not a number. It's not a, um, uh, a stamp of crime or violence or murder, whatever it is. Um, but kind of told, extended the same forgiveness on behalf of humankind. Of like, you're able to move forward from this. You're able to know Jesus because of it. And so it was very wild like Mm -hmm. I just (laughs) I still don't have the great words because it was just so unreal um just getting up there and sharing my story and then seeing the response Mm -hmm. um from these guys we got to sit in small groups with them and got to hear some of their stories and allow them to dream and um but I think whenever you're sitting across someone who is convicted of the very murder that so could kill your dad like it did like there's so much tension that could be there but just allowing it was totally god in that space just allowing the freedom and the healing to happen like it did so so you got did you get up like on a on a, on a platform and give your story and then you broke up into like kind of some group small groups yes. is that is that yes, what it was like yeah. well, about how many uh inmates were we're in there whenever probably like 30 30 30, 30 mm-hmm. 40 something and then we like got, broke up into groups of 10 yeah. each yeah. yeah it was um you know i've been around incarcerated men <laughs> for 25 years you know this is what i do and i think that and also she does it at work and, yeah yeah and, also, <laughs> and, and she has to deal with you and also right. at work i do that um and i've been into prisons and i've been into different places and um so I had an idea of what San Quentin was going to be like, too. And I will say, again, a struggle in my faith has been, and I, I think everybody that works in law enforcement, Chris alluded to it, is that people become numbers and people become cases, and they no longer become human. And I think um, after I left the DA's office, one of the things that, and really a lot of the work that Bob does and a lot of the, I've just had, I've had kind of an unfolding of that, of, of going back to see people in the Imago day and the image of God. Yeah. And that was so played out that day. Um, when we got San Quentin is like, and I came back like a San Quentin evangelist because I'm like, it's like nothing I have ever seen yeah. before. It yeah. is like nothing I have ever seen before in the, um, the warden and the associate warden. It is from the top down. Oh, they yeah. are both godly men mm-hmm. who want um, the time for each of these men, whether they're going to be there for eight months or mm-hmm. the seven life sentences, mm-hmm. is, is to be productive and for them to be seen as, as human beings oh, again. Yeah, sure. And so we walk in. And purpose. Find, they find a purpose. And they're, I mean, they have all – people have no idea. They have all of these education systems set up. They have a newspaper that they run. Um um, Mark Zuckerberg has set up a computer where they are actually coding, like mm-hmm. not just making little websites, like they yeah. are coding. And so it was one of the most impressive things that I saw of truly valuing human life, of coming back to if we are going to incarcerate people, when they come out, we want them to be better. Rehabilitation. Yeah. True, yeah. True rehabilitation. rehabilitation. Yeah. And that's part of what Bob does and reminds. And it was, it, you know, again, it's interesting because – 
in my work. I know what everyone does when they come in the courtroom. You know, I know what everyone has been accused of or what they've been found guilty of. And we had no idea what any of these guys had been Mm -hmm. charged with. We knew nothing about them. And they were beyond just like polite. They were truly inquisitive about us. Like ask about, you know, ask personal questions. And there was, there's one sweet man, um, and you can tell, like, his life has been so changed because mm-hmm. he cannot t- not tell you that he committed murder. Yeah. And, and, like, the other guys don't tell you, but he it's like he's keeping a secret and he's lying to you. Mm-hmm. And so Reggie will pull you aside. Yes. I don't know if he did this to yes. you. Like, he does it to everyone. He, he pulled me aside. He goes, I just need to tell you I murdered a man. And I murdered him in front of his family. And I will never live a day without feeling terrible a- yeah. about that. And you could just see in his, he just has this kindness yeah. about about him and this yeah. gentleness about him um and so it, it was the same with so many of the other guys um the executive director of bob's nonprofit, her name is jody luke and she is also yes. amazing and so we asked when we left we're like is it appropriate for us to contact the the guys like because we felt like we had such a connection and we had mm-hmm. talked about so many things so we have actually been writing back and forth with with the guys um in and one of the guys um, who is one of the leaders, he just recently, we've written back several times, and he just recently, I think he had to get to the point where he trusted me to tell me. He's like, I, you talked about your husband being a police officer. I'm doing this program inside San Quentin. He goes, what I haven't told you is I was a police officer. Oh, and wow. um, I was arrested and charged while I was a police officer. And he went on to tell me about his offenses. Um, and... You know, so it it was one of those things of like, you know, we want to put people in categories. We are all one step away, you mm-hmm. know, from being exactly where those men are. You know, we are all one bad experience away right. yeah. from being there. Um, and so I think I think what San Quentin was for us was um, for me, for sure, is you you cannot underestimate the power of hope. Right. And you have to leave room for redemption. Yes. And there is there is not a more powerful force out there than redemption. Right. And when you see it, and I will tell you, to watch these men, watch Shelby, tell them that they were forgiven and that they were made in the image of God. Here were these guys, tough guys. Several of them have multiple life sentences. They will never not be incarcerated. And they are just weeping. And several of the guys, and I, I told Shelby this, several of the guys have written, and they knew, they remembered when her court date was. They remembered when they were going to trial, and they had written me and said, would you please tell Shelby that we're praying for her? We know that court is going to be hard. We know this day is, you know, dates are important to them. Yeah. <laughs> Time is important yes. to them. They are. They know when their dates come yeah. up. So they they specifically, you know, took the time to to write a letter and mm-hmm. to to say please let shelby know we're praying for her mm-hmm. wow that's that's powerful and um that's inspiring and whenever she was given that message you chris was telling me about just seeing the physical reaction from some of these guys mm-hmm. and and some of these guys are in there for heinous crimes and and some are in there just for they're caught up in circumstances mm-hmm. and um and they're there they're not getting out and they're hearing from a young 18 year old Mm -hmm. speak to them um i just can't imagine that that scene how long has that program uh is san quentin been i think he's been doing about two years Mm -hmm. oh so it's fairly new Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. yeah that part of the program the other programs that they do though they've been doing you know it's it's a i think that's the outlier prison probably that that I don't know how many more. You don't hear about it. No. no. I mean, you really no. know. And it's the, pretty amazing, actually. The, she came home for days. That's all she wanted to talk about. Well, I'm like, can we talk about anything but saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I got the newspapers. I'm reading the newspapers. <laughs> it, um, and we, Shelby and I had a chance afterwards. Um, the associate warden, his name is Oak Smith, his wife, um, they live on the property. So, you know, San Quentin is kind of away from everything else. So people on staff live on property. And um, so his wife fixed lunch for us. And so we just sat and to listen to these men. And, and they said, because they have worked in the, the California Bureau of Prisons their whole career, and they've been, in, you know, doing this for, you know, decades. They said there is no other place like San Quentin. Yeah. And, it, and it all comes just from the mindset of, you know, we treat human beings with dignity mm-hmm. and we look to see, you know, 
what are we doing here? How can we how can we work to rehabilitate and do what really what prisons were intended to do? Right. You know? Right. So I think I think it's very this is a very difficult topic for for a lot of police officers because um there's the heinous crime committed the conviction and it's so easy for us to just say because there's a victim on most almost all of those almost every person in that that prison there's a actual victim to a crime there's a family there's a family there's 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 a family Mm -hmm. and for us i think it's very very hard to even consider forgiveness because we are the ones who are supposed to represent the victims of crime, right? We're the, we're the, we were supposed. So I think it's very hard for officers to separate the crime, um, from the, the human, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you committed a heinous crime. And I think that it, to get to a point in life where you go, I can see that, yes, there was a heinous crime. There is a victim and I'm not, I'm not, lessening that by also looking at the this defendant as a well he's also a human he made a horrible decision he did a horrible act one one or multiple a lot of times um because i will say that probably 10 percent of the people in prison are really just evil horrible people right they're just evil Mm -hmm. but a majority of those people were in a bad situation made bad decisions were doing bad things but it doesn't doesn't have to be who they are the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. People can be changed. And I, as a believer, I have to believe that mm-hmm. I have to know that there, that I, and, and, and for me to think any other, any other way is actually wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to hear somebody who's truly been the victim, um, to have the strength to say, no, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't forgive the act, but you forgive the person. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very powerful message that and and the important part of it is the the freeing it gives it allows mm-hmm. um for the growth and the grieving for for you for the victims um and but for us being the it kind of the inner inner the third person the third wheel in all of that too uh it it it, it does the, finding that empathy to say hey i can separate the acts from the person and i think it's very hard um, and I think a lot of listeners are probably banging the dashboard every once in a while going, but I can't, I can't get past this. I can't get mm-hmm. past that. Well, put yourself in Shelby's position and know what she just did and think, well, it can be done. Yeah. And, and I would say too, like, um, what was really important for me to remind myself of is that this is not forever. Um, and that these earthly things were not, um, like this was never the way it was supposed to be. And to know that, to believe that, um, I mean, it starts from the very beginning of time back in Genesis, whenever you talk about Adam and Eve committing sin, like I know to the heart of God, his heart breaks whenever he sees stuff like this happen. And so I'm reminded that Although this was never the way it was supposed to be, thank goodness that this is not forever. And so just to simply, like to put it in the most simple terms, fix your eyes on the things of heaven. Um, Just even with your family, with your job, with your friends, your life, like to not think of these people as, um, to, to know that the crimes that they committed are horrible and, um, I can forgive the person, maybe not the act. I like the way that you put that. Um, but to also know, like, there will be judgment. Yeah. And God will will have the final say. He is the ultimate judge. And so just to rest in knowing, like, it's not up to us. It's not up to you. Right. So um, that's just something that I've had to remind myself constantly. It's impressive. Shelby, this new journey and this path that you're on, you're still so young but mature well beyond your uh, your age okay this is going to be a long journey for you mm-hmm. where do you see yourself a decade from now uh in the in this new uh journey in your life so i am hoping to graduate next year and um like i said i'm majoring in psychology with a um kind of like a specialty in forensics. And so 
I have kind of tossed around a few ideas of what that's going to look like as far as um, a job, um, but I I feel really called to ministry, and so right now I am working with our women's ministry at my church, um, but I'm also getting to travel and, and speak and do things like this, and so it's it's really fun for me, and I enjoy it, and I know that um, this story that God has weaved together and thrown me into, it's it's not just one for a year after it happened, two years after it happens. Like, I can so see myself a decade from now, like, still sharing the same story. Um, I would love to get into more prisons um, and do ministry there after, honestly, after leaving San Quentin, I just felt such a calling to those people. Um, maybe not San Quentin for the rest of my life, but just like getting into more prisons, getting to share my story. And, you know, I, I, I can't change what they did. They can't change what they did. But um, ultimately, my goal is to see these people in heaven one day, honestly. And um, if that takes me sharing a super hard story or walking through really terrible, heartbreaking grief, like I'll do it. And um, even I think if you would have asked me, you know, Shelby, if you could go back and change anything, what would you change? Um, Honestly, obviously, I would want my dad to be here. But I think, you know, if you asked my dad today, Richard, do you think it was worth it? Like, I think we would all say, like, yeah, Dad, it was worth it. So, um, I I don't know. I'm excited. I, d- I don't know exactly what the future holds, but um, I'm just going to keep saying yes to the Lord. And wherever he takes me, I'll I'll share this story a million times over and have all the hard conversations if if it gets them to sitting beside Jesus one day. So have you, have you been, uh, were you contacted by any other, uh, survivors, um, uh, from other incidents about, you know, what to expect, what it looks like. Did you have a lot of those conversations with people reaching out to you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I had quite a few reach out to me and say, you know, my dad was killed in the line of duty. My husband was killed in the line of duty. Um, and really just asking like, how do you do it? What do I do? Um, and it seems like a really complex situation. Like it, it almost seems like there needs to be all these ducks in order and you have to do this, but don't do that. And honestly, like, I think we just make things so difficult sometimes. <laughs> and it's like, it's really not that difficult. It's just to choose God and to love others. And um, that's kind of just been what I've ran with. Like, tell the story, you know, um, tell the hard story because we can do hard things. So. Well, and I think, you know, every, everybody handles it. Like you said earlier with your siblings, every y'all, y'all have a different way of dealing with it. Right. Um, I think that, um, uh, where you are, um, that clearly God's got a plan for you. Um, I can tell you as a dad and as a police officer, um, I can only imagine how proud your father would be of what you're doing right now. Uh, I would, I, I, I would, I could only dream that my children could, could do the same thing that you're doing, living out their faith, uh, in, in light of a tragedy. And so your, your spiritual maturity, your just general maturity, um, and your ability to, to forgive, it's it's such a testament to how you've been raised by your mom and mm-hmm. by your dad the legacy that that you that your dad left and that mm-hmm. your mom helped form and here you are it's it's it goes even beyond i guarantee you of all the accolades your dad got in 21 years of police work what you're doing now would make him the most proud Thank you. no doubt about it and so um you know it, i've said this a lot of times i was very reluctant to tell my story with joe uh, because i was calling it my story about certain things and it's really not my story. It's God's story right, of how yeah. he worked in me. And yeah. so it's almost not fair to sit on that. Right. Um, and so once you, once you, and then I will tell you what will end up happening is there will be a response to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that will probably come to Joe, but there will be a response to you. Some that will be heard, some that will not, but your story and how you're walking through this, um, will strengthen people who have dealt with something mm-hmm. or it will lay the pathwork pathway uh 
for how they will deal with it. Yeah. And so the fact that you're willing to come and share God's story as he's worked through you mm -hmm. in this incident, um, I, you know, like you said, you might be doing this for the next 30 years yeah. and, and well worth every bit of it right. because yeah. you're change, you will change people without even knowing it. They'll hear this and they'll they'll look at things differently. So I I want to say thank you for for um, coming and, and and not sitting on your story, yeah, but sharing it. Thank you, thank you. It's an incredible story. Um, I really think this is a perfect way to wrap it up. Um, I want to thank Chris. You're super busy. Uh, Kent, thank you for coming out here. Uh, Rainy, you, you're you know your honor. <laughs> your schedule is completely. Uh, stacked I'm sure uh, but you uh, Shelby you're the beautiful side of humanity you mentioned earlier when you got the news and you got to your house you got out of the car and you said that you fell because you were so weak yeah. I don't ever want to hear you say you were weak again you're, <laughs> you're, you're remarkably strong I mean it is, it is amazing thank, um, thank you for sharing the stories about your dad too course, that yeah. I know it's it's therapeutic for you yeah. but it's, it's great for us to hear it also um, and if you don't continue with public speaking in some sort of fashion, then that's going to be a, a huge tragedy. You, you, you are amazing. Like I'm, thank you. I'm a huge fan. Thank right? you. And, and the world needs more people like you. Thank so you. thank you for coming today. Of course. Thank you, Shelby. Uh, Richard Houston, End of Watch, December 3rd, 2021. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Mrs. A. Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder together we'll run up from the bottom yeah we'll rise above hey brother hey sister I'll never give up on you hey missus hey I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun and the moon I'll never give up on you Never give up